0: Welcome to Next Steps, the midweek podcast from Blackhawk Church, where we dig further into the message from Sunday, explore how to apply it to our lives, and offer a practice that will help us engage in prayer and grow in relationship with God. I'm Chris Kopp. Tiffany is unable to join us today, so Lord have mercy as I'm flying solo. Um, But with me are two very special guests that I'll introduce you to in just a moment. Uh, But first, a little housekeeping to take care of. This past Sunday was the final week of the I Am series we've been in this fall. So this will likely be the final podcast that's tied into the Sunday messages for the rest of the year. Um, We we hope to release some special things for the holidays that are a little different from what we've been doing and we'll release the race Q&A that we did with Pastor Charles. Uh, We'll release that sometime soon, but then we'll take a bit of a break before we start up again in the new year. So we would love to hear from you. Um, If you've enjoyed the podcast, let us know why and what's been most helpful, whether that's the interviews or practices or something else. Um, If there's a way that that you think we can make it better, we'd love to hear that too. We want this to be helpful for you guys. We want to refine what we're doing so that it's a tool that can help us all grow and more fully follow Jesus. Um, So reach out to us and email us at podcast at blockhawkchurch.org. All right, well, for today's episode, as we wrap up this I Am series that's been all about the words of Jesus, I want to introduce you to a couple whose lives have been dramatically transformed by Him. Because ultimately Jesus' words aren't just something that we study and mine for little nuggets of truth, right? But the person of Jesus and the good news of Christ, crucified and resurrected, should change everything and can dramatically transform our lives and send us out to reflect his image to the world. And our guests today are perfect examples of that. So without further ado, I want to introduce you to two dear friends of mine who are a part of our Blackhawk family, Tom and Becca Whitney. How are you guys doing today?
1: Doing good. Excited that it's like 70 degrees in November, so can't complain
2: seriously yeah doing good except for the complete fear of the cold that i know is coming but i haven't emotionally prepared for
0: (laughs) something that uh you guys might not know about tom but i do because i've known him for a long time is that he like waits till it snows to stop wearing flip-flops he's wearing them (laughs) right now so so yeah it's gonna get cold cold soon sorry tom Um, So we'll get into more of their story in just a minute here. But for a little context, Tom and Becca met at the University of Wisconsin. Um, They've been my wife, Amy, and I's closest friends since college. And after they got married, they worked in Madison for a couple of years, but have spent the past seven or so years as missionaries in Africa, including Zambia at first and now Angola. Um, So you're not in Angola right now though, obviously, because you're sitting across the room from me.
2: So what brought you guys back to the States? Yeah, we were not supposed to be in the States right now. Um, uh, Just as the the COVID crisis uh, grew in Angola, regulations changed and um, a lot of government offices, including U.S. offices in Angola and Angolan offices closed. And between paperwork and just the pressure of those regulations um, we really found to be the best option for our family to try to leave the country and get back to the U.S. Um, and by the grace of God we were able to, to find a path back that's awesome
0: um, yeah I know most of us listening to this are probably mostly focused in on the COVID situation here in the United States um, but what was what was that like what was your experience with COVID like in Angola as as that began to hit, what was life like there before you guys came back?
1: Um, so we live in a small town called Namib, and the government in Angola shut everything down even before the first case hit. So we were on lockdown in our house for, I think, 10 weeks, and then we could kind of start venturing out a little bit under some regulations. And so, um, yeah, at the end of it, we I think we were... Kind of on lockdown for about six months, with um, only about two trips out to the r- rural areas to do ministry, um, and it's still quite locked down. So it was l- luckily we had another family with us, so we kind of quarantined together for six months. I think I think we're bonded for life. You know, no going back from that. But um, it was it was a little it was quite lonely, I will say. But um, we were really grateful for all the online resources that started popping up that we normally don't have access to. So our daughter watched Bee Kids every Sunday and mm. we streamed a lot of Blackhawk sermons just as an encouragement to us and encouragement as we were held up in our house for six months.
0: Yeah. yeah I mean, you mentioned the lockdown. So what, what did that look like? You guys, I think have told stories about Like there were actually like checkpoints where if you pass through, were they
2: taking people's temperatures and things like that? Yeah, all throughout our town, as well as, uh, any road between, between towns, there were checkpoints There'd be, you know, armed police at the checkpoint with, uh, medical technicians to take temperatures. Um, which was always a little bit nerve wracking because uh, they had the, the ability to detain people for having a temperature, which was always scary. Um, you know the regulations wearing masks uh hand washing stations were mandatory uh, so that happened everywhere fines on the street um people getting uh once again detained if they couldn't pay the fines we we didn't really see personally a lot of it only because we just we stayed we were kind of in house arrest for the majority of it but um we do we do know that it was it was a pretty harsh uh, situation for a lot of people mm and is that still kind of the case right now yeah we actually left angola right before um cases got out of the the capital city there are a couple of the capital uh the provinces by the capital and now it's 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 all over and so those regulations have tightened up if anything um so we still have friends there uh, who we love dearly and you know talk to them uh, as we can and um yeah it's still just everything's shut down everything's just being very maintained and Everything's going slow. Uh, well, let's back up a
0: bit. Uh, we just finished this series on the words of Jesus. And many people listening to this have been reading the gospels for the last few months and one of the reading plans um, that we've been doing. So if you guys can take us back to when you first started digging into who Jesus is. Um, what did that look like for you hearing the gospel for the first time and beginning to take your faith seriously? Uh, Becca, would you mind starting um, with that?
1: So I was, I I grew up not going to church, not believing in God very much. Um, Just wasn't a part of my life. And my senior year in high school, I went to a soccer clinic. I was a soccer player. And my coach there was a combination soccer clinic and, you know, ministry outreach um, which surprised me. <laughs> I didn't know what I was getting into when <laughs> I was part of it. Switch, right? yeah, <laughs> switch, you know. But it was amazing. I, um, I started learning about Jesus. And at the beginning of the week, I was very closed off to it. Like, oh no, I was tricked into this. But throughout the week, I think the Lord knew that that entry point of soccer was what um, drew me in and but from there, he wanted to capture my heart, and I, I think by the end of the week, I was so curious about who the person of Jesus was. The scripture that they used that week was the um, the, so the parable of the sower. Mm. So learning about the different seeds, and it really forced me to reflect on my relationships. I had a lot of failed relationships in my life, be it friendships, um, let down by you know relationships or family or different things, and I really questioned all these relationships continued to fail me. Even people, even people who still love me, but just let me down or let down my expectations. And through these scriptures, it was, I was being told that God would not fail me. Hmm. I was a little leery and a little bit, actually questioned the validity of it. But I was at a point in my life that I felt like, okay, well, if God promises that, then I at least want to try to put my faith in him. And so shortly after that soccer camp, I, um, I prayed, I said, Lord, okay, I I want to follow you. I don't know what this looks like. So at first it was a lot of, I need to remove these things that I know aren't churchy (laughs) at the beginning. So it was kind of removing certain behaviors, but more than that, I think what what overcame that was seeing how the Lord um, really provided people in my life, friends in my life, who also wanted to follow God. And just a few months later, I went off to college at UW Madison and I wanted to find a Bible study. I wanted to find other people who were following God and got involved in a campus ministry. And that I think is really where my understanding of Jesus started to grow and deepen beyond just what I thought Um, it meant to be a Christian, but actually what it meant to follow Jesus and love him and be loved by him. And also um just learn about him and learn about his life.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thanks for sharing. Tom, what about what about you?
2: Yeah, I also grew up uh not in church. Um although I had a much harsher view of the church. I was very very anti-church, anti-religion growing up into high school. Um And, you know, even at the time in high school, spent time really fighting against it, trying to convince people, friends of mine, not to be part of youth groups, trying to get, you know, prayer groups out of the high school, things, you know, I just didn't want that there. It just seems like such a a wrong, evil thing. And I was a self-declared, proud atheist um, loved explaining why God didn't exist in my mind or why, um, if he did, he surely didn't care about us. Just kind of looking at the world and looking at some of the harsh realities of, of life. Um, and the, the one thing that I didn't spend a lot of time on was the person of Jesus. Um, I would talk all day about the idea of a creator, the idea of God. Um, but I couldn't really talk much about Jesus. And so I had a friend who challenged me and said, listen, I understand you don't believe in God, but then who was this guy? Who was Jesus as a historical figure? Who was he? And I couldn't really answer the question well. So I ended up borrowing a Bible, um, really more smuggling a Bible. (laughs) I was so embarrassed to have it. I didn't want anyone to know that I had it. I hid it in my shirt when I went into my house because I was just so embarrassed that I was possibly going to be reading a Bible of my own free will. Um, and I, I went to my room. I just started reading the gospels. My friend had explained that there's these four parts of the Bible that talk about the life of Jesus. And I started to read them. Um, and I read them intending to find my, you know, the, the nail in the coffin. This is, look at how terrible this person is. Look at how wrong these, these viewpoints are. Um, and then I could come back and say, look at your Jesus is a horrible person. Look at this. And the Jesus that I found in the Bibles was so different than my preconceived notions. I, you know, I, I knew basic ideas from just the culture, being an American. Um, I knew that they talked about him dying for the sins and there was crosses everywhere. And I thought that was weird. I, when I was a kid, I went into a church for a music practice and they had a big bloody Jesus on a cross sculpture. And I just remember thinking, these people are crazy. This is such a weird thing. Um, but as I read the gospels, just the, the way that he spoke, the way that he loved people, but he wasn't a, a pushover. The way that he, he seemed to fight for people um, was so new to me and so captivating. I ended up just consuming the gospels day after day after day looking and eventually just desperate to find something that would, that would confirm my own beliefs, what I wanted to be true. I wanted to say, no, there's no God. No, this isn't real. Um, but the Jesus in the Bible wouldn't let me do that. Mm. Um, and after a number of weeks, um, I just, I, I, I gave up. I, I turned to God instead of fighting with God, um, you know, particularly there's a part in one of the gospels when there's, a, there's two criminals on either side of him on crosses and one of them mocks him like I've been doing my whole life. The other side simply said, remember me. Mm. He acknowledged him and just asked for a relationship, a simple, it wasn't a big theological thing, which was great because I had no theology. Um, and eventually, I I cracked, and I just said, "God, if you're even real, uh, I I want you, I need you," um, and my life completely changed. Mm. Wow, well, that's amazing. Um, so
0: obviously, a lot has happened. A lot of life uh, has occurred that. You go from that moment of like, Jesus, if you're real, and, and just kind of um, wanting a relationship to now you've like picked up everything, sold everything, moved overseas to do ministry. That's a pretty big change from from where both of you guys um, were at. So what, what led to that? Um, you go from this place of initially placing your faith in Jesus to... You, you guys are sold out for him and have completely devoted your lives to, to, to God and to telling people about the good news of the gospel. So
2: what did that look like for you to make that decision to, to move overseas? I was the the first driving factor in our relationship. Um, for me, you know, the, the night that I actually prayed for the first time, I just cried out, no fancy prayer, I had nothing. Uh, the next morning, I woke up to an email from a friend who had attempted to talk about Jesus with me years before, um, and I didn't listen, and it didn't go well, and whatever. But um, I woke up the next morning to an email that said, "Hey, if you ever want to talk about this, I know you're not into God stuff. If you ever have questions, let me know." Um, and immediately, he started to he answered questions. I had people in my life from 12 hours after going from atheist to believe I had people in my life building me up, teaching me about the word, answering questions, you know, back to back questions like who is Peter and what are denominations, you know, things that are just these, the whole, the whole spectrum of questions you could have coming from a, a lack of understanding of the church. Um, and so I just feel so, so blessed by the Lord to put these people into my life um, that for me, that they're, they're created this burden in me. When I look at the world and I see populations that are just neglected, don't have access to that. You know, who am I to have such a amazing opportunity to grow and learn when there's people who are far more committed to the ways of God that don't even have a Bible. Mm. There, there are people... Um, it, well, I think for me as well, like I, I was the last person you'd want to go and speak to you about the Bible. You know, like I, the first time I went to church after being a believer, I was getting weird looks from the parents who were mad at me for trying to get their kids to, out of the church. You know, so I was the last person you would spend time and effort to reach. Uh, and yet God still did it and someone still did it. Um, And so I I, I was always drawn to people groups that it didn't seem practical. You look in the natural, you use your logic and you say, you know how much, how many resources, how much time it would take just to get to those seven people. Mm -hmm. Uh, And and a lot of people would say, I'm going to spend those resources elsewhere and reach the masses. And that's great. And that's beautiful. But for me, man, I, I, from the get-go, I wanted to spend that week, in in a, in a dirty truck, you know, sitting in the back, in the back of a pickup in the African bush. I wanted to spend that time and that resources to get to those few. Um, because if God can get a hold of them, if, if, if God reveals himself to them, who knows what he's going to change in the world. And so when you mix those two things, the idea of going where it doesn't seem logical to go because they're valuable and giving resources to people who just don't have a chance to get them, Mm -hmm. um, it just drew me to, to, to ministry in particular missions in a, a rural isolated context. That's awesome.
0: Yeah. That's so good. Like it's not logical or strategic necessarily, but you guys are still like, these are people who are loved by God and might not otherwise have an opportunity to hear. Um, That's amazing that you guys have responded in that way. Becca, anything you want to add?
1: I would only add that my, (laughs) My willingness to um, lay down everything, so to speak, was a bit slower and not as passionate. <laughs> I think I, I married a passionate man, which is amazing. Um, but for me, it just took some time. I, I think I had constructed an idea or expectation in my mind of what my life would look like. I was went to school to be a teacher. I was teaching in Madison and absolutely loved it. Um, but I, I think when I finally... I'll put it this way. Before I laid down everything to move overseas, I had to lay down my expectations of what I thought my life would look like. Mm -hmm. And so once I laid that down, that gave space. And I mean, space, not a matter of weeks, but I think two years that I had to give space for in my heart and in my mind and in my life for the Lord to say, Hey, no, no, you're valuable. It's not just Tom's passion. Like you actually have gifts that I want to use. I, you are valuable and to me, you are valuable in my kingdom to be used in, in a different way maybe than you expected, but I have, I have plans for you as well. And so once I actually opened myself up to that idea, then I, I could see myself. Um, and yeah, it's, it's hard. I think it's hard laying down. It's hard to be away from family. We have two young kids. It's hard to be away from grandparents. Um, we fight for those relationships in different ways, but it is a sacrifice, but it, for us it's a, it's a sacrifice worth, worth sacrificing.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um, So if you're listening to this podcast, obviously don't hear that the only legitimate response you can have to the good news of Jesus is to pick up everything and move overseas, right? Um, But man, you guys know this. I'm so proud of you guys and how you live out your faith in this way. Um, Jesus has dramatically transformed your lives and kind of out of a place of, of gratitude, your response has been to fully devote your lives to him wherever he might lead, even if that means... Sacrifice, And I think that's something we all can can learn from, whether the thing God is calling us to is to move somewhere to serve him or to serve our city or our neighbors right around us in some way, or to be generous with our resources, um, or just to be on mission to make disciples here in our own community in whatever way God might be calling us to. Um, but thanks, you guys, just for your example of, of being willing to, to follow wherever he leads. Um, well, one of the things that's always so fascinating for me to hear about when when you guys um, are here is to be able to to talk about what ministry looks like in Angola. Um, so maybe first, give us just a little background on what you're doing there and what a
2: typical week of ministry might look like. Yeah, like we said, we pursue, as an organization, we're part of a group called, uh, organization called Overland Missions, and we focus on... Um, neglected and isolated people groups. And so that around the world, that can be for a number of factors. It can be physical distance from the church. It can be cultural barriers between people groups and the gospel. But um, wherever we are around the world, we are looking to, to go to people groups, uh, communities that don't have a chance to hear the gospel and show them who Jesus is. For us personally, uh, we work in Southwest Angola, which is in Southwest Africa. And we work with very remote uh, people groups—they are disconnected culturally uh, and logistically from the rest of the world. It's you know, there's not Western clothing. You know, the, there's only a, a few that even speak a language that uh, functions outside of their their community context. Um, they don't. Yeah. And so we have to go quite a distance to get there. And so a a ministry, you know, a week or a month or whatever, we we camp. A lot Mm. Um, we go out for a a week or so and we will go out with all of our gear bring all of our own water our own food go out and we'll camp in um, one or two villages depending on how long we're out and we'll just, if people come to us, we'll have conversations. We sit around a fire. We sit around with tea, you know, whatever it may be at our campground. And we just talk about um, the Bible. We share stories from the word. Uh, we answer questions if they have questions. Um, and then we, we move to the next location and we do the same thing. And then we will eventually come back to, um, we have a home in a, in a small town that's more of a logistical base for us that has things like internet and a grocery store yeah, and yeah. fuel. Um, and we, you know, unpack, clean up, then we repack, we go again. We just keep going and doing that cycle in order to get out and have these conversations.
1: Mm-hmm. And I will interject that um, one of my favorite things about the Mukabal people that we work with is it looks very different than church here. They don't... <laughs> they're they don't politely listen while you talk for 30 minutes. They interrupt with questions and conversation because that is what their community is built around. They they sit in a circle and they talk, and we've grown to absolutely love that. We yeah. love the conversational aspect of it. So, it is a lot of conversations around a fire.
2: Yeah. You know, one of the one of the. F- first things that the, the grand chief of this people group told us when we came, he said, you know, you can come, but we, we don't want anything to do with your, your church, your, whatever your, your objectives are. One of the reasons for that was he said, we sit in circles, we talk to another, you sit in these lines and you look at one person, how can a community grow like that? You know? And so we, we didn't have a great answer. We're like, I, I actually don't know, you know, if you... Um, you get in small groups later, you know, there's all, all those different tactics. But in the end, it was, a, it was a commentary just on the church that they had seen and how different that was from the way their community functioned. And so our job is to then bring Jesus into their community, not bring our church functions into their community.
0: Yeah. Oh, what's kind of the situation, and in Angola as you guys were headed in, is this a place where people have any context for the gospel and Jesus or Christianity? Um, It it took a while for you guys to get into the country, right. And to get visas. Um, Was it civil war that was happening not Mm -hmm. long before this. And so there's even still like landmines and things like that. And so it's, it's a, it's a very unreached kind of, Area of the world, right like can you guys speak more to that
1: yeah there 's kind of two two worlds that function with Angola within Angola there is the the city um, the capital city is extremely wealthy um, uh, they are it's just it 's a very prosperous nation in some respects mm-hmm. um, but the the size of the country is very large it 's twice the size of Texas. And because of that, during about 30 years of civil war, many of the people groups retreated into the rural areas. And so there is a huge divide between um, the cities and you have a lot of churches in the cities, lots of different denominations. So the cities do have an influence of, of church and Jesus and who God is. But when you drive outside of the cities, there is a, you kind of like pass this imaginary line where time, time goes back decades if not a century Mm -hmm. um and you enter into these areas where these people groups are who remove themselves and they live off of the land and um rightly so the civil war was very destructive for the country and so we we function in both we have a feet foot foot in both worlds um and so that's kind of what is happening Mm -hmm. in the country yeah
0: So when it comes to talking to people about Jesus, what has that been like? Like here in the States, almost everyone has at least heard of him, even if they don't know much about his teachings. Um, So when we do a series like this I Am series, most people have at least some context for who he is and what he's about uh, but by the sound of it, for many of the people you're working with, it's the first time they're hearing a single thing about Jesus or the Christian faith. Um, so tell us a little bit about what that's like. Like, how are they receiving uh, this news about this, this man named Jesus? Um, what is that like?
1: Before commenting on that, I just want to paint a little bit of a picture. I know um, one of the things that I've always appreciated about Blackhawk is, you know, Pastor Christ will give a five or ten minute, you know, paint a picture of what it meant for a shepherd boy you know for david to be a shepherd boy where we are it's when we say shepherd we're talking to the 7-year-old kids that are literally sitting next to their sheep that they're walking around with or when we talk about the woman at the well the women are sitting there with their buckets of water because they just gathered from the well so often we joke that we we feel like we're in biblical times because we've kind of gone back into time where this with where time has kind of stopped. There's not Western influences. So that's kind of the context in which we are sitting. Um, and I'll let Tom comment a bit more on just like what it means then to speak about Jesus in this context.
2: Yeah. I'd say two out of three places we go, people have never heard the name before. Uh, so we get very funny replies. They'll say, Oh, uh, Jesus, Jesus. Uh, is he a politician? Is he, see he with the government? <laughs> if no. <it's> only, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Or it'll be like, Oh, I, no, I remember that name from the war. Um, was he a general? Would I have served under him? No, mm. no, not, not the context we're talking. And so we get a lot of funny things and people trying to place this name that some of the older men that did travel with the war, they, they might've had this little tiny idea of it. We had one guy who said he, there was a guy in his troop that had a, a video about Jesus on his phone back a number of years ago. and would always watch that. And he, that's all he knew. That was just like, mm-hmm. so yeah, I've heard of him. There's a video. He's a, so it must be an actor. But yeah, as far as um, now what's it like to, to show, show Jesus? It's a very different world because um, we're starting we're starting from scratch. They've never heard the name. They've never they've no uh, theological construct that we're building on. We just have to go in and start speaking. Um, and I will say one of my, one of my favorite stories uh, kind of shows. The way that the people respond to the message—it's so fresh, it's so new. Um, we were in an area, and there's a woman named Kangongu, who's now a good friend of ours. This is years ago, and we just started sharing about about God, and and she, she knew absolutely nothing, never heard of Jesus. And so we started at the very beginning, and we shared the story of Adam and Eve, and we got to the part of the story where Eve takes the fruit and and eats of it and bites into it, and she stood up in a in a in a rage. How? Can she do this? She was physically upset. She was moving her body and shouting <laughs> like this fool woman. Why would she do that? She had everything perfect, you know? And there's this, there's this shock mm. as she gets up. And so she, she calms down and we continue with the story and God removes them from the garden and her face just like sunk. And she, all of a sudden she gets this, she interrupts me and she says, wait, so if they were the first people then, if she wouldn't have have done that, would we still be in the garden? And this is coming from a woman with a very harsh life. I mean, they live in the desert. It is barren. It is hard to find water. Food is scarce. They spend they're, they're semi nomadic because they they just move wherever they can find grazing grazing grounds for their cattle. It is a hard life, unlike I think I've ever seen. Um, so she's thinking of her own existence in this story, this this world that we just painted a picture of of the garden, and she says you know, would we still be there? And you know, my, my answer, you know, the simple answer being, well, without sin, yes. Oh. Had no one sinned, we would be there. And her whole face just dropped and she sat down, I mean, dejected and her words were, so there's just no way back. Mm. You know, and that's the place that we get to say, well, actually, let me tell you about a guy named Jesus. Um, we get to, to speak this hope into this, this blank canvas of, of a complete understanding that, yeah, the world is broken. The world is messed up. There is hurt. And if only God would do something, and that is the place that we can say he actually did. He became man. He died. He gave his life for you to redeem and to actually change things, to transform us. Um, and, you know, I, I, can't, I can't even imagine, to be honest, being in a situation in the U.S. or most countries or I would tell the story of Adam and Eve and there would be complete shock or confusion. Right. They're just such a known, they're, they're almost like like folklore now. Everyone just kind of knows them. Um, so being able to talk about Jesus in that context uh, is an honor. It's a privilege. It's a beautiful thing. Um, and, and yeah, and we, we've we told about Jesus and she accepted him right there. You know, she was so excited that God had done something, had mm. done not just something, everything for her, for them.
0: Yeah. That's amazing. It, it, like we should, we should read the story that way, right? Like, Oh my gosh, this just happened in Genesis three in the fall. And like, what, what are they doing? And, um, and then being dejected, but also so hopeful when we hear about Jesus, but we've just like heard the story so many times that it kind of loses that punch. Um, maybe along a similar line, what are some ways that as you have communicated the gospel to people, um, that, that the good news is particularly good news for them in a way that like we might not think of here in America. So you're talking about this woman who like has a really hard life and the good news is that it's not always going to be this way that God has created a way for restoration and and new life and all of that kind of stuff. Are there other ways or just like things that they see in the gospel that it's like, man, they just like light up with with joy or with life because of of what's true of God's promises or
2: what do you guys think? I think one big thing is the idea of being known by a greater power is Mm -hmm. a huge thing. Uh, I think back to even in Zambia, we saw us a lot, but for those that even have a spiritual belief, a lot of the people we work with, um, they just—they don't have energy to think about things beyond the, the the practical and the physical, but you know they have this hierarchy of theirs. You know, there's humans, and above them there's like the the elite humans. Above them there's the spiritual beings, and it kind of works the way up like a pyramid. At the very top, so distant, out of sight, is this creator god, who's supposed to be this father to us all. And the gospel story takes that pyramid. It doesn't just give access to the top, it flips the pyramid upside down at the very height of it has come down into this earth, this ground, and walked among us. I mean, just that simple thing, um, you know, to to a lot of, even to myself, to think, oh, God became man, it's just a theological point. To them, it's this idea that the God that created this thing has actually walked walked in the desert. He knows what that's like is, 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 a, is a, an idea and a concept that is so encouraging and so loving to them to, to know that they're known. They're not forgotten. Yeah, they're not yeah. on the edge of the earth. Um, and beyond that, I mean, yeah, it gives them hope for everything. It means that if that God would do that, then they can talk to that God. They can ask that God for things. There's, there's no medical care out where they are. Um, but if they can talk to the God that made the body, then they can, they can believe for healing in body. And we've seen it. We've seen miracles. We've seen people healed. Uh, if they know the creator, they might be in a drought. But if they know the God that made the, the environment, they can ask for rain. And we've seen miracle rains, absolute miracle rains. Um, and, so, and, and not that God has, has answered every single cry, every single time, but for them to have a connection, to feel loved, to feel known um, is, is just incredible.
0: Yeah. Amen. Um, any other, so we've been going again through this series, um, the I am statements. So I am the resurrection and the life or I am the shepherd. I am the gate. And we've had to kind of untangle what we think those things mean. Um, I I mean, I, I remember you guys telling me stories of like, as people have heard some of those claims about Jesus or like in John four, right? I think this was a story you were telling me one time that Jesus says, like, if you would have known who was giving you the, this living water, you would have asked me for a drink. And they like, they heard that and but they they really wanted to know what kind of water it was
2: right like can you guys tell that story real quick yeah i mean it's a, it's a, it was just a funny interaction because in that area there's one village that's known for having they call it sweet water just uh water without salt in it mm. and so they all are just used to digging 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 to get salty water dirty salty water and so when we told that story that or that you know that that those words of jesus they're like okay that's great but is it is it salty water or sweet water? Because (laughs) I don't want living salt water. I have enough salt water. But if it's sweet water, you know, if it's fresh water, then maybe Uh, I'm interested in this Jesus guy, uh, Um, you know? And and those words, uh, that thing happens a lot to you with, we shared the story about being born again. And uh, we we shared that story. We got to the part where Jesus said to, you know, you must be born again. They were talking about themselves and and they start laughing the whole group and we're waiting for translation they're laughing and talking 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 finally the response comes back and their leader says to us how is someone supposed to be born again? We're not supposed to crawl back into our mother, are we?
1: i like, that's what Nicodemus said. Right,
2: yeah. you know, And we're like, okay, well, that's exactly the, the response. And once again, you know, it's that idea of that's the response. Perhaps we should have when we read these words like born again. Born again is a weird idea. It's a weird concept. Mm-hmm. And we've just taken that and we've added it into our language. And it just means a Christian. But the reality of that word is supposed to cause a sense of, wait, there has to be some sort of new life and a new birth. Mm. Uh, And that dramatically changes the way you view being a Christian. Yeah.
0: That's so good. Um, Kind of along those lines, I think we'll we'll wrap up with this. But as you've had the opportunity to look with fresh eyes at Jesus and faith through the perspective of the people that you've been sharing with and working with, what's something that that maybe you guys personally have learned about who Jesus is or just about reading scripture or your faith as you've been in this new environment that just sees things come in in a completely just like fresh and, and new way?
1: I think for me um we've been living in Angola for 4 years now and we've gone through a lot of different seasons of of ministry and of life and re- of relying on on the Lord and really relying on our relationship with Jesus for for our own lives and for our ministry and I I think the thing that I continue to remember and through all these conversations is it's never too late or I can always go back to, I, I, to take what's uh, a simple song of like, going back to your first love is no matter how far or how distant you are. And even as someone, I think sometimes people look at us as like, well, you're the professional Christians, <laughs> you're missionaries. That's like, that's like real big deal Christian stuff there. I also need to rely on Jesus every single day to sustain me in my life, and that's the most important relationship. And so there have been seasons that I have tried to rely all on my own strengths to do the best you know, best ministry, being the best mom. And I just, I come back to the feet of Jesus. And, and I think these conversations with the people we work with remind me of that is there's no person too far away. There is no person too close. There is no, no distance too far that God will not travel mm-hmm. to love you. And I think- that is what I want to hold to and something that I will carry through the rest of my life is that at any point in any season, I can come back to the feet of Jesus simply by saying, God, I need you. (laughs) Jesus, thank you for this relationship.
2: Yeah, so good. I think for me, uh, the the context that we get to to live our ministry out in helps me keep the core of the gospel, the focus, um, and not just uh, the focus, like I keep remembering it, but it, it allows the core of the gospel to be the main thing that I like, I climb after that I, Mm. I, I long for. Um, it's so easy in, in, in an American context, you know, while we're here and that, that there's so many resources that you can say, okay, I understand Jesus died for my sins. He died to give me new life. You check that off because I understand that. And I know it, it's a known theological concept. And you start to get into the weeds of these things that are important to think about, but aren't the core of what God did. Um, when you can go back to this idea, this, this unrelenting passion of God, that he gave up everything to, to purchase you back, to purchase me back, that there is nothing we could possibly do to make God love us more. He's already shown us that and that that love motivates us for everything. You know, you can stay there and, and you can be satisfied being someone who, who loves God, being a lover of God. You can be satisfied by the love of God. And your, your ministry can be motivated by God's love for other people because of that sacrifice and that, that new life, that new creation that he births in us. I think for me, it just makes it so easy to stay real in my life that it, it, it cannot just become a story. Because I'm not going to cross the world and sit in a truck for, for hours to tell a cool story about a guy dying and coming back from the dead. But if there's a real God who actually became flesh for us on our behalf, gave up that life willingly to transform us, to breathe new life, real new life, not just a new perspective, but an actual new life into us, and that's available... Th- I mean, that is something that will keep me motivated. Yeah. And I, I can, I, I will cross the world to, to share that. I will talk to anyone about that. And so when the motivation stays there, I think it just, it helps my ministry flourish, helps my life flourish, helps my worship flourish. When we stay, when I stay there, it just keeps my connection with God uh, in my head and in my, my heart and my soul. It's not just this, this thing, I want to read another book. It just makes me want to be with God. Yeah.
0: Amen. Uh, Man, we should just end with that and cut cut off the episode (laughs) right now. So good. Um, But for the sake of wrapping things up and being professional, I guess, um, I know that there are so many people here at Blackhawk that know and love you guys and are for you. Um, So we'll, we'll be continuing to pray for your family. And if you're listening today and have never met Tom and Becca before, um, by all means, send up a prayer or two for Tom and Becca and their kids, Izzy and Griffin. Um, But real quick, is there anything specific that we can be praying for you guys as you're in kind of this season of waiting?
1: Um, I think the prayer request for our family would be um, to pray for the logistics logistics of us getting back to Angola um, Mm -hmm. because of, COVID complicates everything. Um, our visas are going to expire at the end of the year. And so we will have to go through a, a long process, hopefully not too long process, hopefully miraculously short process of getting mm-hmm. back into the country and getting visas for our family. So that's immediate. Um, and I think secondly, pray for our, our people in Angola, all of our um, friends and our relationships in the ministry there. They are isolated and distant and with COVID spreading in the country, um, they are a very vulnerable population. So just praying for yeah. their health and their safety and protection over them.
2: Yeah. And I'm going to throw out some names for the Black Hawk community of <laughs> our Angolan colleagues just so you can be praying for them. I'm, I'm counting on Black Hawkers to be praying. <laughs> um, there are two Angolans that are key, key uh, men in our, in our ministry. Isaac and Verissimo, pray for them. Um, it's 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 a hard place to be right now, and they they are committed to moving the gospel to anyone that 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 is willing to hear it. And so, be praying for them to keep them safe, to to keep them uh, mobile, and to give them opportunities to to share who Jesus is with anyone and everyone.
0: Yeah, awesome.
2: Um, well, thanks so much, you guys, for
0: stopping by and and joining us today. Um, Really fun having you. It
1: was a joy to be here, thanks.
0: Well, as we wrap up this series, I wanna encourage you to look back. Uh, Maybe you only got to catch a couple of the messages, maybe you saw all of them, but regardless, think about this. What's one way you're now seeing Jesus with new eyes or a fresh perspective? Take a moment to reflect. Next, what's one way that you feel led to follow Jesus differently? Is there something throughout this fall and this series that he's been asking you to do? Or a new rhythm you want to put into practice? Or something you're going to dig into more? If nothing immediately comes to mind, take just a moment to pray and ask God if there's something he wants to speak to you. And consider writing something down if an answer to any of those questions pops into your mind. Go ahead. Finally, take just a moment to praise Jesus for who he is and what he means to you in your own words. Go ahead. Let me close with these words from the Apostle Paul in Romans 8, as we wrap up this series. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, or hardship, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Well, thanks for listening these last few months. Have a great week and God bless.